0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain.
1: Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. So we um, have had an interesting week uh, since we last uh, talked with everybody. We started talking about this issue literally a year ago and actually before that. So Brian and I both feel like we've already beat a dead horse on redistricting and like repeatedly.
2: Beat a dead horse to death four times.
1: (laughs) Over and over (laughs) and over. Yet for the past two weeks, at least half of my calls, texts, emails, whatever, have been about redistricting. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, and I just want to set the record on this. And we'll—I think we're going to try to have uh, one of the one of our local experts and Action Twenty Two people um, on next week to talk a little bit about why we need to continue to talk about this. But uh, this commission is going around the state and they're doing uh, these listening sessions yes. to understand a little bit better about what people in these different communities are wanting. I think I, we're going to I'm going to go back to what we said in the beginning and we've been saying all along we want two purely rural districts. Yes. But number one on the list before anything else can be con- to be considered is
2: The numbers. Yeah, it's just, you know, the population and I think they get that. But um, you know, Action 22, uh, we have made, we've we've drawn our line in the sand. We had a proposed map that we submitted and it shows the two rural districts both on the the east side of the state and the west side of the state. The redistricting commission did come out with a preliminary map, which was um, actually very similar to the one that we proposed. They changed a little bit of it. Um, and now they're holding these public, I guess, comment periods where they're going around seeing how people feel about it. And from what I understand, like, I don't think anybody's happy with anything. And we knew that would be an (laughs) issue. Like everybody wants it a certain way. They don't understand the rules and they think they could just say like, oh, let's make Pueblo its own district or make the Valley its own district or whatever. But it, it does go by population. Also important to note on it is the census data is being released today. Today. Today they actually have the census count down by county. So that's gonna impact the um, the proposed map. The numbers that they used when they did the preliminary map, they're gonna be close to what the census released. Um, the what the census information released today is more accurate, where they can actually go down by county and, and break it down to an individual on the numbers. And uh, an important aspect of that on the congressional redistricting is that the congressional districts have to be within one person. so the That's mind this, yeah this it's weird because the state on the the other side for the the state Senate and House districts um, it doesn't have to be by one person I think they have more leeway it's like a few hundred or even a thousand but in the congressional side it, all the districts have to be the same amount of people with by one person. So over or under? There's only a one-person leeway. Yeah, and and that was um, on their preliminary map, I think, and some of the maps out there you saw because the the population can't be split eight ways evenly. So there's going to be, I think it was like one or two districts that have one person less, or you know. But yeah, it has to be even. Like you, you, you need. Just for example, you need 100 people in each district, and it can't be 102 or 98. It has to be 100 people within one person.
1: That's it's going to be such a difficult thing. And what we heard from our membership in the very beginning, and we've heard all the way through, and every conversation is about representation. Yeah. It all comes down to how can we be most effectively represented. And the thing that I'm coming up against, I think right now, is it's a perception problem.
2: Yeah, and, and the the people um, that I've talked to about it, you know, there there's some pushback. They're saying, "Well, why should our county be in the same district as a county up north?" You know, the other side of the state. And I, I get that, but um, you know, as it stands now, you have a county on counties on one side of the mountain and with counties on the other side of the mountain. Um, you know, you're gonna have, unless they do some weird pinwheel thing where everything's connected to Denver, there's just no way for the rural area to not be put in with a county elsewhere. Or, you know, even this isn't what we want, but say, like, you know, part of El Paso County is in with a district that's all the rural side, or, you know, part of Denver comes into a district that goes down to Alamosa, uh, there's just no way around it because there are not enough people on the rural side that you have to find those numbers. And again, our map was two purely rural districts, and to get those numbers, you had to go from the north all the way to the south. And, right. and I understand why why people don't like that.
1: Well, and I understand why you're looking at, less. for example, we went uh, east-west basically along the continental divide, what we proposed. Yeah. Part of it is that when you have, it's the urban-rural divide, and the argument's been made, well, Pueblo is not rural. So...
2: But I think Pueblo is rural. Yes. Um, you know, it's just like saying Grand Junction isn't rural. You yeah. Know, that compared to Colorado Springs, Denver, Boulder, those areas, we are rural in Colorado. And our values here in Pueblo are similar to rural values. You know, we... Pueblo is a manufacturing town. We have a steel mill, but it's also an agricultural exactly. town as well. You know, agriculture is a big part of Pueblo County. And although we may not seem rural that we're a big city or whatever, um, we do have that agriculture aspect. We do have, you know, cattle ranches. We have farms. We have chili farms. You know, that's, yeah. that's huge. It's like one of the biggest industries in Pueblo, along with the steel mill and manufacturing. Um, you know, so it's kind of... a to both like Pueblo is kind of a a rural urban city, if that makes
1: sense. Well, and I think that's sort of the point we'd like to have people consider when you talk about these um, high population centers in the middle of these very rural communities, what we're talking about is their link to ag. So when you're talking about a Pueblo, a Greeley, a Grand Junction, an Alamosa, those are high population centers yep. that are so um, intricately connected to the ag our ag community that you really can't take those apart. I think the other thing is that is bothering me about this is the things that I feel like we should be considering, like water issues, yes. um, water issues, especially um, where the future of energy is. Yeah. All of those things, the ag. And that sort of thing. But it really feels like this is more of a political
2: um, well, yeah, lens
1: that you're seeing through than an issues in.
2: Yeah, it, it's this... They, it's You're not supposed to gerrymander the districts here in Colorado. Other states, they do gerrymander because they don't have the set of rules and regulations that we put out for this independent commission on redistricting. But when you break it down, like it's going to be political no matter what, because right. this is drawing of political districts. I mean, this is the districts, these are the districts where you elect a member of Congress. So no matter how much you claim this isn't political or you're not being political about it, it's always going to be political. Because if you argue on one hand, you know, well, we need, you know, this community of interest deserves to be represented together, that's political. Or if you say, right. you know, we want, ag issues to be the focus of a district that's That's political political, everything about this is political so when they say this isn't political that's bs because when you're dealing with your future congressman or congresswoman it's always going to be political
1: well the other thing that bothers me is i think everybody's thinking about the election next year and they're not thinking about the next 10 years
2: yeah that's another thing um this is very elections are very close to people right now. Um, we've had contentious elections, uh, presidential, all the way down to local levels in the past, say, four years, um, six years. So
1: so speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about... Wait, let me go back really quick. So everybody has a chance to talk about redistricting. Yes, Say what you want. Um, on the legislative side, we haven't jumped into it too much. No, but not yet. the thing that we want to consider on the legislative side... And that means that for the state stuff, The leg- so the congressional is the federal, This legislative is the state. Yeah. On the legislative side, um, I think the thing that we're hearing the most is, uh, please consider counties that share resources. You have to keep those together. Like for example, Los Animas and Werfano County share a DA, they share um, yeah. the health services, they share those services. Be careful about keeping those together. Yeah, it just
2: makes it more smooth, both on the federal and the, the state, the legislative side. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, one one thing that I, I believe is very important, uh, more important than anything in the congressional side right now is that El Paso County can't be split up. They're going to shave a little bit off of it because they have too many people for a district. But there's a couple arguments out there that they want to split up El Paso County to make the numbers for some of these districts, but I don't think El Paso County should be split up. And the reason for that being is El Paso County, their industry is military and DOD. Mm -hmm. Um, They have uh, NORAD, um, Peterson, Fort Carson, Shriver, the Air Force Academy, uh, all in this one district. And if a lot of that comes down to funding and money and that's federal, and so it's, Would be interesting and be, I think it would be a problem if you had two or three members of Congress splitting that up, whereas they may not see eye to eye on, say, defense spending or military funding or something like that, and it could create problems there. So it's better to have, you know, one member of Congress kind of oversee this area. Traditionally, that member of Congress, Congressman Lamborn, now they're always on um, the military affairs or, you know, VA um, committee in, in Congress, and that's why it's important because if you had, say, three members there, not all three of them are going to be on the, the military um, House Armed Services Committee. Probably one of them will be, but that's the committee in Congress that makes the decisions, uh, specifically legislation and funding for the DoD and the military. So if you throw too many people in the mix there, it can cause some issues for the military. And the military Regardless how you feel about them, um, they are a great partner with Colorado and Colorado is a great partner with them. Right. And we don't want to do anything to make it tougher for them, I think, because our economy here um, basically relies so much on um, DOD funding, whether it's aerospace, engineering to you know military bases, Fort Carson, for instance, right. you know. That's like the Colorado Springs economy are the the military bases there. And that's why you have the aerospace industry move in because they work with Spacecom and now Space Force. They're going to be Space Force bases there. So you have the Lockheeds and the Boeings that have huge facilities here in Colorado because they could work hand in hand and then the Air Force Academy as well. So I, I think that's why one of the more important if anything, if I had to choose one issue would be like, please keep El Paso County uh, cool. whole. And I, I think the commission understands that. And from what I've experienced going through the, the hearings with them or the public comments that I've been on, they they seem to get that. Yeah. And everybody speaking on behalf of El Paso County has made some valid points. And they're politically, they're at both sides of the spectrum. It's not just you know.
1: I think there's a perception that they're a very very red county, and that's are. some of the. Like that's the argument to try to split them up to yeah. quote unquote again, be more go competitive. To,
2: go political, but it, taking the politics out of it, it's like it I don't care. I don't sense. care if it's a Democrat representing them right. or a Republican. You just you need that that sense. You need that one person there that can take care of these issues.
1: Well, plus, you don't want a La Junta or an Otero County trying to compete for representation with a you know, the juggernaut of Colorado Springs. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: That's the other thing. The last time we saw that happen um, was Pinyon Canyon, and we saw what happened there. Yeah. So uh, we just, we don't need that kind of um, representation, regardless of the political whatever, yeah. or the party, whatever. So speaking of that, so this has been a really interesting thing that we've been keeping a close eye on the last couple days. <laughs> Talk a little bit about Mesa well, County. Well, it hasn't
2: been a couple days yet. It's been one day, but it um, turns out that uh, the Secretary of State is investigating Mesa County Clerk. So County Janet Griswold, office. who's
1: the current Colorado yeah. Secretary of State.
2: Um, And this just came out. says the Mesa County Clerk's Office allowed an unauthorized person into sensitive areas where its election equipment is located, had turned off surveillance cameras that were supposed to be monitoring those machines, and failed to show proper chain of custody after new software was installed. Those are the conclusions that the Secretary of State's Office just announced today, prompting Secretary of State Janet Griswold to officially decertify all of the county's election equipment. That means the that 41 individual scanners, servers, tablets, and other election equipment that the clerk's office owns cannot be used. How much it would cost the county to either replace them or find a way to get them recertified is unknown. Altogether, they are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my gosh. So, basically, and... it's hard to talk about this without being uh, political on it.
1: Just do it. So, yeah, yeah. Just um, say what it is. Know,
2: the disclaimer, our opinions on the show do not represent the opinions of Action 22 <laughs> organization. Correct. So what this happened was the, 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 yeah, the county clerks there, um, she she went through some trouble the last year. They tried to recall her because apparently she they found that there were ballots that she didn't count after an election. And then there was an issue about 150% being returned for a, a certain election, which that one was, I, I understand why that happened. It was basically an election where like two people voted. So they had to mail out three ballots to keep it anonymous. And that's why the return was 150% or uh, something like that. Okay. So that that's fine. That's... But the, the ballots they found that weren't counted, it was like 500 and some. Um, that's a big thing. Um, now, looking back, they didn't do anything about it because no matter how those ballots would have gone, it would not have changed the results of the election back then. So they tried to recall her. They didn't get enough signatures. Uh, There were multiple complaints filed against her. She filed complaints against the recall people. Uh, It was kind of like a he said, she said situation, and she wanted people to get fired. You know, obviously they had to bring a a county clerk from another county in to run the recall election because she's the county clerk. And of course, they chose the next county over and it was a Democrat. So she said it was the Democrats trying to go after Republican, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, didn't happen. So apparently she is out in, I want to say South Dakota or somewhere. I don't know. Okay. It's with the MyPillow guy. He's having a cyber seminar with um, people to prove that Trump won the election and that they were going to show evidence of, the election tampering and the election was stolen. Um, kind of the, kind of what they've been talking about for a while now. I honestly have no opinion on it one way or the other. Um, but they noticed that the Mesa County voting machines, which were Dominion, which the the people there claim the Dominion voting machines are like hackable, are being controlled by foreign interests or who knows. Yeah, whatever. The conspiracy theory <laughs> so, around the Dominion. So. Apparently, somebody posted pictures of the passwords in the machines for Mesa County on social media. Uh, Someone so, who, who Yes, was that? it was probably her, I think. I think that's what this investigation is. Um, that's why when the Secretary of State went in, they wanted all the surveillance cameras and to know who was in there to figure out who posted this sensitive information. And, of course, they turned the cameras off, let somebody unauthorized in there, so they don't know who posted it or what happened. i, I pretty sure they know but they haven't said yet and it, during this time they're like hey you're under investigation and she comes out the clerk from Mesa County and was like well I'm leaving for a couple of days to prove that the election was stolen which is completely ironic that you know she could possibly be the one in her office that leaks stuff out intentionally right um, so she's out there doing that thing. They're going to talk more about it tonight, I guess. And and it, and it was weird too. She said, I've been talking to the DA and the DA advised me not to talk to anybody. And then the <laughs> DA comes up to, on the news. He's like, we haven't talked to her. Like she hasn't talked to us. In fact, we're starting a criminal investigation.
1: Yeah, the DA would not advise her. Yeah, that doesn't so, make any
2: sense. So now the DAs, I believe they started a criminal investigation. But what it what it boils down to, in my opinion, is... Again, you have this person claiming the election was stolen and that there's widespread fraud. And then this person intentionally or this person's group leaks out the information that's supposed to be secret. That you have a background check and you're trusted to ensure that the election goes smooth and is not compromised. You are authorized to have this, not to share it. And you have to do background checks on all your employees. And then it gets into something where where this person that was in there was may not have been an employee and was unauthorized and didn't have a background check. So right there, that compromises the security of it. So now they just don't know. Like, the machines are compromised. and The they only thing to know. do is you get rid of them and get new ones.
1: So what happened this week that this is all... If they tried to recall her, they looked at it, they saw some things that weren't right, and that was several months well, ago. the recall was ago. last year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. So what happened this week that, that started that, this whole thing up again?
2: They put pictures of the passwords and the voting machines on They did media. that this week? I think Monday.
1: Oh, my
2: word. Yeah, it was Monday, and then I think the Secretary of State initiated the investigation or con- tried to contact her on Tuesday, and that's when they said, hey, we're coming. Like, be there. We're doing this investigation to figure out what happened, and she said, well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. To go prove that the election was stolen. I'm going to another
1: state to prove Yeah, that. and then
2: she's, she's saying, it's crazy. It's just it, it kind of makes me sad just how far polarized people are going and doing things to to prove their side's right versus the other side. And I'm not talking about the right or the left. I'm talking about both sides are doing this yeah. stuff, you know. It's it's it just it shows the polarization politically of people and how far they're willing to go on both sides to prove their point even in that to prove their point they are they doing, what doing they it do. it's like
1: throwing a fit about it's
2: like a manager at a bank saying hey these banks could be broken into and i'm going to prove it by giving putting the passwords to the vault on the, on internet, the internet and saying see well duh of course. like you're not supposed to put that on the internet that's why you're the manager of the bank or the county clerk
1: so i think that's one of the things we end up talking about a lot um, really in conversations that we have is that uh, Action 22, when I started, I I was told in no uncertain terms that I would be putting the organization out on a limb by being non-partisan. My board, however, supported that. Our board has been really, really good about making sure the partisanship stays out of Action 22. Fast forward four years now, and we're seeing why that is becoming more and more important. It's about who do you serve? Are is the party is a party being served, or a special interest yeah, being served, yeah. or a Coloradans being served? And I doesn't, it doesn't—it doesn't sound like Colorado was served at all when you have those kind of shenanigans.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that bothers me too is like if this, if the election, the people that in charge are in charge of the election, there are not securing it. Like, does that? mean that the election in Mesa County was never secured? Like, how can you trust it? How can you trust the person that's in charge that has failed right now? And now it's a criminal investigation. And this is a felony investigation. That's the other thing. This is yeah. this is a felony. This isn't like a slap on the wrist paid a $1,000 fine. I mean, this, this could lead to prison time. This would lead to people getting fired. This could ruin people's lives. And if I'm sitting there and I'm a, a person that was elected or maybe not elected if I lost like looking at this I'm like wait a minute like does this mean that the election even was real like how can I trust the results of the last few elections since she's been in office if this is what she's been doing like who knows what else it's kind of like you know you you meet people that that have like a red flag you know and then you find out like oh yeah this has been going on forever like if they're willing to do this you know
1: you don't you don't know and that's the, I think that's the frustrating part. I, I have conversations a lot with, um, my son about whether or not he, you know, is he going to vote or whether or not he votes and, and he'll point Uh, to this and go, why the hell would I vote? Like, why would I do that? Um, it takes Coloradans out of the equation. Um, and that's the real travesty of something like this. Um, whether it's a, whether the investigation yields uh, criminal charges or not, the damage is most oh, I, I definitely mean this, there. It this, undermines everything.
2: This is, and I know we're talking about the Grand Junction area, and it's not in our area, but this is, you know, this is already costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars in a time where they don't have a lot of money and they need all the help they can get, and now they're going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. For their next election, which is coming up next year,
1: yeah, it's uh, it makes you want to it 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 makes you angry in your heart. Yeah, to do that, um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about events that are coming up for Action Twenty Two. Some of the things that uh, that in talking to our members in the last little bit, we're going to have to bridge some gaps and a whole bunch of different things. So we'll talk a little bit back about that when we return.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Xcel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 Southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, You can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org.
2: Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast.
0: Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcasts. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are
1: everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships,
0: self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
2: The Internet's
0: number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen.
1: Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. So, yesterday, I had—and I don't do this very often—but I had a moment of pure brattiness on uh, social media. Uh, <laughs> so, the Pueblo chieftain.
2: Uh... <laughs> so, so okay, let's start this. Okay, For, let's first start off, now. like I, I'm not on the I'm not on the whole bandwagon of hate the Pueblo chieftain. There, there's some people that are pretty bitter that. Uh, the chieftain being sold after Bob Rawlings, God bless his soul, passed away. Yes. Um, I think it was in his will that it it was to be sold when he died. So, um, you know, a, a, an organization, a media company, came in and bought it from out of town. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people retired. They restructured, you know, prints kind of go in the way of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. But the Pueblo Chieftain is still read physically by many people in Southern Colorado. Mm-hmm. So they brought new staff in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Things change. People are unhappy. Whatever. So then, <laughs> then today in the paper, there's like a recipe on how to use New Mexico hatch chilies to cook or something. Like.
1: Yes. It was like, uh, there was an article, there was pictures, there was talking a, a lot of errors in the, yeah in the text, by the way. Um Somebody from from Texas, was writing about Hatch Green Chili, which comes from New Mexico,
2: which is our enemy, <laughs> our chili enemy. Is yes, Hatch. Like
1: it's not a rivalry. It's like
2: oh, it's it, we're enemies with their t- those chili people are worthless. <laughs>
1: so, like we saw, there's a they bought banner they bought billboards in Pueblo. Oh yeah, and and we stuff. did like, the same.
2: It's it's a fun rivalry. It's really not like hateful or anything. But yeah, so so hatch comes up and you know they put up billboards in pueblo that you know pueblo green chili you Now they we have hatch billboards in pueblo and we did the same thing down there it's fun it it drives you know people to buy chilies and yeah it's, it's a fun but <laughs> for the chieftain <laughs> to like put an article about cooking with hatch green chilies i'm like the
1: pueblo chieftain and this is the home of Heroes
2: and the Pueblo and Chili. Pueblo Chili. Oh, boy. Um,
1: it was just there was a tone deaf. So I put something on Facebook about it, and it's gotten some interesting responses. Um, mostly like,
2: yeah,
1: you know, like so the poor chieftain. Those guys don't even know what hit them. So um, <laughs> I just had to say, I was bratty. I admit that I was bratty. And I regret nothing.
2: Yeah,
1: I regret nothing. I
2: mean, you gotta have some awareness of the community you're serving, especially when they already don't like you right now. Yeah, they're not.
1: They're not fans right now. Um, So we have been having a lot of conversations um, about (laughs) a lot of different things. Education has been one. Yeah, we did the show last week with um, uh, Kathy Reynolds. Uh, We have. Been having a lot of offline conversations. Uh, our membership has increased dramatically in the last couple months, which we, you know, we needed to have happen. Yeah. We wanted to have happen, um, and every day we're getting um, new people on. Here's, and we always ask the question: What matters most to those we serve, and what does our community need from us? As we're looking at all of these funds coming up, um, they're they're starting to designate the buckets. So there's a couple things. One is that, and we've talked a little bit about on the show before, but it bears repeating. So all of these funds in Colorado, Colorado's unique in its fiscal policy. And one of those things is DOLA. So we found one other DOLA in the country. Was it New Jersey?
2: Yeah, I think it's New Jersey has an agency that's similar to similar DOLA, to but that. it's not but the same.
1: Certainly thing. not yeah. the, the yeah. broad strokes that, and so it's unique to here.
2: Yes. And for those not familiar with DOLA, it's a Department of Local Affairs and it's a state agency that was started back in the I think we figured out like the sixties or seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically there there is a, a tool for the, the local communities to use for everything from funding. They do some some licensing stuff, but it's mostly like, hey, there's money available, you go through DOLA and DOLA works with you. Um, they're there to offer help you know they have people that assist if a a community or county is in need of something you could call up dolan they say hey here's what's available here's what the state can do versus in other states you just have to figure it out like you know uh, and we've talked about it in rural communities they don't have the resources that say like a denver pueblo or, or springs has where there's people on staff that Right grants, yeah. Yeah, right grants, seek this out. So DOLA is there, you know, specifically to help these communities that may not yeah. be able to help themselves and navigating the state and funding and all that fun, boring stuff.
1: Yeah. So there's also the Office of Economic Development yep. and International Trade that we lovingly call OEDIT. They've been having a lot of conversations now. Then you have the federal ones, the EDA, yeah. the um, USDA, USDA Rural Development, all of those. Yep. So in having these conversations, they're saying, we're going to put this much here, we're going to put this much there. And then, of course, on the federal side, the infrastructure Mm -hmm. bill that went through the the Dems, um, the Senate passed it. It was more than the Republicans wanted to spend and far less than the Dems wanted to spend. But it passed and now it goes on to the House. So that infrastructure piece... So it's just really hard to know what money to go after right now. Mm-hmm. But on the state side for Colorado, what I'm hearing over and over again is we don't know how to access the funds. And I know it's a true thing about yeah. accessing those funds. So I'm what we're going to do, what we're planning on doing and and um I wasn't able to get on the call yesterday with Dola, but uh the call the pre, a couple weeks ago Um, we're going to put on a roadshow. Action 22 is going to do a roadshow where we go into five of our communities and we're going to do it in La Junta, Trinidad, the San Luis Valley, Pueblo, and either Fremont County or Teller County and have this um, little working group so we can figure out how to help these folks access all of these funds. Because they've got the buckets but they're still trying to figure out the particulars, I think, and they're they're almost there. They're yeah. just right there. But now then the next step is, okay, how are you gonna access this? And, and
2: we're gonna be a resource for them, for, right. uh, for the region, uh, just because, again, they don't have a lot of time to spend on this, or maybe even the know-how, but we do have that uh, relationship with the state and with DOLA where we can pick up the phone and call them and actually have them come down and visit with these communities to explain how this is gonna work. And then doing this, you know, some, some of our counties may figure something out that the other ones didn't. And right. if we keep this all in action, 22, it could be like, oh, hey, uh, Pueblo County did this, and this is how they navigated the system, and take that to um, Alamosa. And then Alamosa, oh, hey, we figured this out. Let's take that over to Baca County. And, you know, like, hey, Colorado Springs figured this out. Right. Let's blast this out to everybody. And,
1: Let's, and, and see and say, how we is can how do it does this. It. Yeah. Well, and also... Of The vision that you and I have had um, and that we've been trying to push for the last little bit, and we talked about, everybody was talking about this beforehand, but nobody's, it didn't really move anywhere, is this regional approach. Yes. How do we do that? Because traditionally and culturally and everything, the mindset is all these different counties and municipalities, they're a little bit siloed and they're competing for, they've always been competing for the same resources yeah
2: so the, this county is competing for the same thing the next county over is competing for so if we do this regionally it benefits everyone it, and there is still going to be that competition on that and we don't want to get you know we won't like take sides if it's right. competitive funding or anything like that but I, I think looking at it regionally like what's best for the region how can we help out as many people as possible in the action 22 footprint
1: so that's been, it's going to be a paradigm switch. It's generally, I thought it was going to be a little bit easier than it is, but I've been having lots of conversations in trying to figure out what our communities actually need. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a little more difficult to get them to think in that way um, than they have before. I don't know how to break down those barriers other than to do what we're doing is have this regional discussion and Um, put it to the decision makers on how to do the regional stuff, how to do the regional stuff. I think one of the things that we've talked about that I really want to do as well is start having the chambers of commerce meet together. There's a really great example of that collaboration in the San Luis Valley. All of the county commissioners in the San Luis Valley get together once a quarter and they just have the discussions and they um, talk about you know, where they're aligned on things and what they're going after and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They've I've been super impressed. In, they think of themselves as fighting all the time, but I haven't seen no. that any place else where there's a region and all the county commissioners get together and to do that. So we want to try to start to do that for the chambers of commerce yeah. who are trying to work on this, but in the 22 areas. This is the only way we know how to do this is to start to have those conversations, but it's going to take a lot of buy-in.
2: Yeah, it is. And especially with Chamber of Commerce is they, uh, they tend to look out again, it's regional territory, like Mm -hmm. local territory. They're, you know, they're, they're based on, they operate in their area and they don't want to share or go out there, but they're, they're a little more open-minded now. And we've seen that like Trinidad, you know, they were doing something in coordination with Raton, New Mexico, with this, um, Spaghetti Western Festival, which is during our uh Action 22 annual meeting. So we'll see that. And they did that in conjunction with the Chamber of Commerce out of state in another yeah. state. Now it's only a drive down the road, but still. And and you see the Valley was the Valley's really been good at that when it comes to all aspects from economic development to health care, yes. to veterans issues, to, you know, it's the Valley, it's not like Alamosa, it's not San Luis, it's like the Valley. Right. Like, and they yeah. have these groups of the Valley of seven, you know, different counties down there that band together. So they've been, they've been really good with that. Pueblo, um, you know, Pueblo is big enough, we're kind of our own entity and it's tougher to break out of that. But I think there's opportunity where it's like, hey, let's take the, um, you know, the Pueblo Chamber down to Alamosa, down to Trinidad, and do something down there for a week, and bring their people up here and have them yes. do something. And they do do that. Like, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Uh, but it, I think if you get more of the community involved with it, um, some of the business leaders, there there might they might see some opportunity both for Pueblo and the other communities reaching out, just for an example, using Pueblo. Um, you know, you have investors here that may want to invest down in Alamosa. You have people in Alamosa that may want to invest in Pueblo. And this could be just a facility or a vehicle to get it more involved, like maybe come up and introduce, uh, you know, somebody from the Valley to all the Pueblo business people also take all the Pueblo business people down to the Valley or Trinidad or out East and see what they're working on and how this can all work. Cause again, I, I keep saying that it's, we, we focus a lot on Pueblo and I think it's because for Pueblo to succeed, the region succeeds. Pueblo is going to be the hub. It is the hub for the Southern Colorado. Uh, Colorado Springs is too, but um, I I think Pueblo, it's like if you live in Southeastern Colorado, if you need something, you come up to Pueblo.
1: Well, and we were talking, I was talking with Kevin Wilkins the other day about, uh, you know, where do we do our shopping or who does their shopping where and, and how that all works in the Valley. Um, often comes to Pueblo, and then you know we'll go to Springs or Denver. You you go regionally to do that, uh, and it's got to work on all of those levels. I've got to spend this last uh, earlier this week. I was in Trinidad because we're going to do our annual meeting in Trinidad. We've never done it. The Action Twenty Two meeting annual meeting has never been held in Trinidad. They've, as far as I know, they've never done. We've never done a really big event down there and we've got two uh, great board members. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got the mayor and one of the county commissioners Uh, there. And I I just love both of these gentlemen. They are very different in their approach to leadership, but they work very hard for their communities. And they do, they set aside whatever issues they have to work with each other. And it's really, really impressive. But there's a very strong political divide down there yeah. that they have to constantly, constantly overcome. So Mayor Rico said, why don't you he asked about a year ago, why don't you do the annual meeting in Trinidad? And I was like, I don't know. Why don't we do the annual yeah. meeting in Trinidad? I think we
2: should do the annual meeting in a different county every year. I and think that's, so too. that's our, I don't know where all the annual meetings I've been to for Action 22 have been in Pueblo, I think. I think I, there was one in Springs I went to over the years, but. I didn't go to all of them. Um, it always coincided with something else, but, but I think, you know, that's our fault as an organization. Um, you know, shame on us for not getting out there because our annual meeting does have a lot of people that attend it. And I honestly think we should do it in a different County or a different region every year. Like maybe next year we could go out East somewhere or, you know, do one in Walsenburg and, and see what they have to offer. Go further East. Um, you know, do one in the Valley Do you know, do one in Cripple Creek, do yeah. one in wherever. Um, let's take a rafting trip.
0: Do it earlier in
2: the summer.
1: Well, it's not, because it's not an election year, we can have some more yeah. fun with it. And that was sort of the idea because, you know, Mike Patterson, he's like, just make it fun because yeah. he has a short attention span just like mine. So I've just des- we're designing that around attention span. Uh, we've got, we're going to do the Action 22 talks. We've got some pretty impressive speakers. I don't want to announce it yet, we've got lined up, but we're going to have some great speakers. We're calling them the Action 22 Talks or the A22 Talks. um, And it's going to be a TED Talk format. And then one of the other things that, and then the Spaghetti Western, but I have to give a shout out to the city of Trinidad and the, and Los Animas County. When we said, yeah, we're going to do it down there. They have absolutely rolled out the red carpet. I mean, they are doing just amazing stuff for us in order to have that. We're going to have the trolley on. um, We're going to have tours that are happening. We're going to have all of that really fun. And it's going to be an experience. The other thing that um, I've been having a lot of conversations about is some of these things that are a lot bigger lifts as far as what needs to happen. Like, And we talk about housing. Without the the term changes all the time. But housing, uh, from a capacity and economic building side of it, that's one issue. And then, um, it's it was done. How it was unhoused for a minute, but it's not unhoused now. But it's and it's not homeless. But it's
2: and It's still homeless.
1: It's homeless. Yeah. I don't know. I'll wait till next week to see what the new term is. Yeah. But um, that's a different issue altogether. But to address either one of those issues, there's going to have to be some public-private partnerships.
2: Yeah, and there has to be consensus, too. That's where you're finding it difficult. And even though homelessness and unaffordable or accessible housing are for non-homeless people, so say workers coming in, like nurses or whatever, manufacturing, um, even though they're separate, they're still kind of connected but i think when they have these discussions they get confused they they're talking about both issues and the solutions don't aren't the solutions for homelessness aren't the same as for accessible housing you know and, right. it, and it, it muddies it up a bit but i thought it was interesting i think that report came out where they were spending more on a homeless individual oh, a year gosh. than it would cost to rent them a house and provide like groceries and services
1: dramatically more it was in the denver post like a yeah, week ago yeah
2: and and that's it's funny because i've had this conversation with a few people that deal with the homeless side of things um you know la puente was one of them we went down and checked that out down at alamos what they're doing here in pueblo is triple aim um alexis who talked to her and really the solution is you need to put people in houses like you don't put them in tent cities. First off, that's dehumanizing, I think. And uh-huh. I might get I some flack for this. But it also it, it encourages homelessness because it's not as controlled, brings in drugs. People move to those areas to live in the tent cities. And that's not a solution. And it's temporary. Um, but what the, the answer, what everybody that's telling me that's the expert on this are like, no, the, the solution is easy. You put people in houses. Yes. And that's it. And it's cheaper than spending all this money on multiple levels of programs that aren't fixing or solving the problem.
1: So the article in the Denver Post said that um, a one-bedroom, just very basic one-bedroom apartment would cost about $20,000 a year. And what they're spending individually in the area on services and to basically to keep these folks in tents is between forty. dollars And $120,000 a year? Yeah. Or something crazy like that. And I think, uh, how can we not do better than what we're doing? Like, where's the disconnect? Yeah. Uh, And it feels like, uh, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me logically. And so, and if somebody like Lexi with triple aim is saying that's what I think she is. She's the authority. We should be listening to her.
2: Yeah. I want to have her on the show. Um, We've kind of played phone tag off and on. She's always, she's always busy. She is. So Uh, the other thing um, I saw that was like Los Angeles County spends over a billion a year on homelessness. (sighs) And if you look at Los Angeles right now, it's like Mad Max.
1: It is. It's insane. It's
2: horrible. And the, the crazy thing, they they want to double that. And what they do is they double the money. It's like they throw more money at it, and then they just hire a bunch of people to talk about it more instead of actually doing actually
1: something. actually doing something. I don't
2: think that's the case here in Colorado. But I, just looking at, like, Los Angeles, where that is the problem. Like, California has... Horrible, horrible homeless problem, and we're not even talking about people that are like on the streets, like no job. These are people that have jobs that are living in tents on the side of the road because they can't afford anywhere to live. But uh, a billion dollars they spend on that, a billion. That
1: just I don't even I can't even wrap my brain around and one, that, and they want to spend more. If
2: they want to spend, it more. it feels like oh, there, there was there was a press conference where they're like, we're gonna we're gonna basically throw more money at this. And we're going to hire all these experts to come up with a solution.
1: I think Lexi has the yeah. answer. Ask her. I and that's completely separate from talking with Reg Rudolph, who is the CEO of uh, San Isabel Electric, and him saying, "Here's what we need to do." Is he's they have projects. There's all these projects, and it's going to get to be more and more as we see energy renewable and green energy develop in this area. Um, They can't, they have job positions open that they can't fill because they don't have a place to live.
2: Oh yeah, that was the whole thing with the expansion at the mill. Um, You know, they say, oh, this is going to bring in these manufacturing jobs. Like we're going to have to hire 120 people, but they have nowhere to live. So how do you hire somebody
1: So, and it goes through all of these rural communities. So this, and this is a true story. I was talking with um, a lady I met not too long ago, um, and they were moving to Rye. Her husband has been teaching in Walsenburg Mm -hmm. at John Mall, but he's been living out of a camper for like, this will be his second year. And then they finally found someplace that they could afford and that they're moving into um, in Colorado City or Rye. And he's going to commute every day. But it was because even in the dead of winter, you know those pop-up campers? Yeah, yeah. He was living in a pop-up camper and then would go back on the weekends to be with his family. So four nights a week in the dead of winter, he's living in a pop-up camper because there was nothing available in Walsenburg. So this this is the real thing that we're talking about. So when we talk about moving forward, until the housing issue is addressed, both... That's, you know, the homeless issue is one, but this housing for workforce is another one. And I don't know how we move forward until that one's figured out. I
2: I have three friends that work in Denver and live in Pueblo. They drive to work every morning.
1: That's insane. Yeah. How do you do that?
2: Lots of coffee. Oh my yes. gosh,
1: that just sets your life <laughs> no, away. No happy
2: hour after work. <laughs>
1: oh my word. Just go. We complain if we have to drive to Denver. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to Denver. I don't want to make that commute. I don't know how they do that. And, and it's just getting to be, it's getting to be more and more. But I don't, we've heard of a couple of solutions, but it's going to, the solutions are going to be completely surrounding these public private partnerships. I think so. So part of our annual meeting day two. Um, We've decided that that's what's needed the most, and we're going to have a public private partner workshop before our, um, I'm calling it the elected's um, luncheon. Um, And we're going to do that too because October is going to be here in just a minute. So those are the things coming up. We will keep everybody posted on what we're going to do, when, and where. And if people, I appreciate everybody's patience because normally people like, we want to know our calendar this far ahead. But everybody's having to pivot so much, and we didn't want to say this is what we're going to do before we knew what needed to be done. And so I think this is um, the, the very best we can do. They'll, and then the state fair is coming up. Yep. So this is uh, this is a big deal in Pueblo, and I know that there's some concern, um, and they're willing to pivot. Um, and I don't want to get into masks and all of that, but we just have to be ready. But we also have to be resilient in making sure that some of these things continue to happen. The legislative barbecue is a very big deal, and that's coming up. And then there's a whole bunch of activities um, and so forth. So we're going to have a little get-together before the legislative barbecue for Action 22 members, and we'll keep you posted on that. So we'll actually see quite a few of you face-to-face in just a couple weeks.
2: I'm going to pre-game tailgate in the parking lot at the fair.
1: <laughs> That'll be so much fun. Um, so just be ready to come in and enjoy yourselves and, and get to see everybody again. If you're not already a member of Action 22, now is the time to join. And Brian is the guy you need to talk to about joining Action 22.
2: Show at action22.org. Email me.
1: Email email him. He will get will come out and visit you. He'll come out and visit you. I'll come out and visit you. Um, whatever that we need to get uh, you involved. And the reason that we need to get you involved, I had a conversation with a, a new member um, this morning, and they are trying to get a business. Uh, they're standing up a business that is about all about fire mitigation, and they've gone to a whole bunch of people. And, you know, they're coming to Action 22. We have other offices come to act. We have state and federal offices come to us. We have, because we can get things done in ways that um, that other people can't. And the reason is because of the strength of our membership. So the more members we have, the stronger we are, the more we're going to be able to stand up for you. And so we want you to join Action 22. So next week, I think we're going to try to have somebody who um, is an action, who's been involved in Action 22 for a really long time and talk a little bit about the why we should be really considering and everything to be considering on, on the um,
2: redistricting, redistricting That's why it's important and why you got to pay attention,
1: why you have to pay attention. And then there, and we'll let everybody know when and where um, to be involved in that. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.